Who, what, when, where, how and why. The five W's and an all-important H of news journalism drilled into budding reporters from their earliest training sessions. These questions were also the starting point of the DPP's Tomorrow's News work, which has explored the editorial, technology and the business challenges of current and future news operations. Who is making and consuming news? And what are they consuming? And where? How is it made? And what does all this mean for news operations? Working with many dozens of member companies, the DPP has produced three reports. What's the news? Making the news? And the news business. I am Edward Qualtrough. I'm the editorial director here at the DPP. And while I'm a far from impartial source, I do encourage you to dive into those reports. And in this episode of the DPP podcast, enabled by DPP Members Quest, I am joined by two contributors to the series, EMG CTO Lucy O'Brien and Quest Principal Paul Charleston, to digest some of the key themes of tomorrow's news. Hi, Lucy. Thank you very much for joining the DPP podcast. And we're going to be discussing some of the um, themes of the tomorrow's news work. But first of all, the easiest teaser opening questions. Who are you? Where are you, perhaps? And maybe also, what have you been doing the last few days? How typical is that of what your uh, usual experiences are? Hello, I am Lucy O'Brien. I am the group CTO of uh, EMG. We uh, are a company who span across Europe and the UK and have a multitude of facilities that we sell to clients from OB trucks to studios to play out um, to ENG news crews. Um, and, uh, it, you know, our clients go from ITV and BT Sport in the UK, for example, to the Liga Serie A in Italy. So it's quite varied in terms of what we of what we do and in terms of what I've been doing the last few days a lot of it has been IBC prep to be honest and trying to juggle the diary and work out who I can see when and actually fitting in some time to physically see the show which is uh, always a bit of a challenge. Thank you so uh, it will be my first trip so I look forward to uh, seeing uh, what's going to take place there. So the tomorrow's news project encompassed quite a few strands. We had a piece about the business of news and what are the revenue models that are working and not. We spoke about the uh, editorial uh, challenges and how consumers are consuming news. We did a sort of a slightly more technical piece of work about how it's made. But one of the big themes that came out was this um, phrase story centric. And whilst Rowan and I were researching, we had this sort of Pavlov, Pavlov's dog reaction where when someone said story centric we go what do you mean by that terminology because I think it means a little slightly different things to different people so you gave us a, a great response I'm loath to suck up too much so could you remind us how you described it and what it means in practice for news operations yeah sure so I think um story centric in itself sounds brilliant and as I would see it, it should be a single producer looks after a story for an entire news cycle, um, you know, and they then, you know, watch this story as it as it unfolds and as it and it as it travels through, you know, the day of of what's when it's being broadcast. 
what is actually happening though is that there is a story and um lots of different producers will work on it but they only send one news crew to go and cover that story and therefore it's kind of seen as story centric because in the past maybe the morning show and the lunchtime show and the evening show would send different people now it's only one set of people that go and that's not really story centric because every producer will have a slightly different take on what that story should be and how it should look um I believe TV2 and Finn work in a truly story-centric, you know, from my understanding of how they work, I've never seen it. They, they do have a single producer that will watch this story unfold during a period of time. Um, I haven't seen that translate in my experience yet into, into UK news. But I think also what I'd said to you was that I think that news agencies have probably work, been working in a story-centric um situation for quite a long time because they're a news agency it's a slightly different what they're producing is slightly different because they're um you know trying to produce an entire story to hand over to the likes of gb news or, or itn so at their heart they are thinking about assets to create for multiple channels yes that's exactly it like that in their head they're already thinking about how will this translate how does this make sense you know, how can we make it a three minute piece and a two minute piece? And how would it work on Facebook? And does this relate to a linear channel as opposed to, you know, the, the more standard newsroom tends to have different teams working on that story. And therefore you might, you know, things are sort of shaped slightly differently. So my last uh, story centric follow up then is to what extent do you think then it is really a, a technical um, challenge? And to what extent with a whole new suite of tools and processes, and to what extent is it about um, about people and the way and the way people work? I think the tools are there now. I, you know, there are certain tools out there that are brilliant that completely allow for story centric workflow. You know, there's um, even Avi West a long time ago. I mean, I haven't looked at it recently. You know, they had a facility where that was gave you an entire workflow, so you could push that story to the news crews at the other end it would come up on their device and everything would be part of that story centric workflow but you need to fundamentally change how people think and it probably is more the production side of the business as opposed to the technologists that that kind of need to change their mindset slightly thank you that is an absolutely beautiful segue then to what i wanted to ask next which was a uh, rowan de pomeray zinger one of his hot takes i think from from the report he was so happy about this one he i think he sent a, a slack or a, a, a google chats message about it at the time and, and it was about the innovation that had been taking place in news gathering having been transformed but this was often filtering into a newsroom process that sort of hardly changed at all compared to sort of some parts of the media. To what extent do you think that is sort of true and does that um, uh, resonate with you, that, that the sort of the, the news capture has, has changed so much? There's been so much innovation there, but, but maybe the newsroom hasn't so much. Yeah, I think I'd completely agree, actually, because I think, you know, we the way that news has been captured has has massively changed you know you would in the past always send a SNG truck to go and film a story um, and therefore potentially make decisions on what stories got covered based on whether or not you could or couldn't get a truck to that um, to that person to interview and now it's become the norm that you can even just get that person in on a on a video call you don't have to send anybody anywhere 
um, or they could film themselves on their own camera and send that into the newsroom to to um, be part of the story. So it's it's wildly different to what it was for sure. And I think some of the best quotes and contributions were almost these like semi-serious but semi-throwaway lines as well. We had one from another contributor who said, what, what would your future newsroom look like? And he said, well, I wouldn't have anyone older than 25 um, working in the newsroom. And y- yours wasn't quite so flippant, but I remember we were talking about, well, if you were designing your Greenfield news gathering operation, what would you be sending people out with? And what, what was that? Yeah, and I said I would just get them a ring light and a, the latest iPhone because um, I think that's true. I mean, obviously that doesn't cover everything, but actually it covers most most things for for news gathering anyway. I think um, it, what the consumer is happy to view is also that that's fine for most consumers. You know, the video, the cameras on the on the phone now are brilliant. So you know, we're we've moved a long way from the rubbishy camera phones I remember when I first got my first camera phone so yeah it's a bit controversial but you know you still probably do need a camera crew that's got some fancy cameras to do the Boris Johnson interview you couldn't turn up and and interview him with a with an iPhone but actually for Joe blogs in the street I think it's you know it, it would get you the perfect picture so that's it that's, that's and that's all you're aiming for really it's fascinating that's the, that's the way the the industry is going so much innovation ha- taking place in yeah in in the lens and in, in some of that hardware and not all of it is happening in the um, typical broadcast um, and kit providers I suppose um, whilst whilst trying to produce the the more sort of technology focused report the typical thing happens I think seeing this more and more in the DPP work which is this is as much about um, people and change as it is about um, tech innovation and, and something that came out a lot was about how much this needs to be driven from sort of the highest echelons of an organization? Do they completely have the vision for what the, the future newsroom looks like? Um, so if I was to pivot that into a question then, to what extent do you think there needs to be a lot of strategic vision from the top to embed these changes? Because so much of it is about the way the way people are working and, and the tools they use and that's going to impact um journalists and news and editorial staff and, and technology staff? I think it does need to come from the top down. I think there is, you know, the chap who said that he wouldn't employ anybody under the age, over the age of 25 is probably slightly extreme because you, you need people's um, understanding of the news cycle and, you know, how news generally works in each country is different as well. So obviously you kind of need that legacy. But I think what younger generations tend to bring into this and and therefore what will what they could teach effectively the people at the top is you know everybody these days is can can gather news everybody's an editor at home um you know the the prosumer tools are you know wildly different to to when they what they used to be and therefore i think you can completely change and with the right set of people you could move into a fully story-centric workflow really easily um, because you've got a younger generation who is happy to adapt and change possibly because it's new to them. It's not that it's right or wrong, it's just different and they're willing to change because it makes more sense to them because actually they've been producing their own TikTok videos for the last three years and so that kind of quick way of working makes sense to them uh, as opposed to somebody who's 
never produce anything personally for themselves you know it, it's a it's a mind shift it's, it it is a change in terms of sending a journalist out and asking them to be a journalist and be an editor and be a sound person because they also need to do the mic up I mean that's you know that's it's it's tricky it's hard to get people to change people like change once they've got to that place but that transition is really can be quite prickly I think for quite quite a lot of people we're all like that really yeah, thank you. And um, I think you hint at something there, which is if it's not coming from the top, then it will come from the bottom. If people are used to using these tools, then they will find a way of using them. And something that came out was about, how, is the UX, the user experience, the usability of some of the newsroom tools um, really what, what journalists want to use? Is, is that something that you've sort of spotted or had any experience with or think that the sort of I'm not going to try and provoke you to um, stick a knife into the vendor community but essentially make 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 the tools that journalists want to use and enjoy using and and, and someone sort of quipped about maybe it's the journalist centric workflow of of tools as much as it is a story centric one I think that that's probably quite the key is that uh, especially when I, uh, my time at GB News, watching that newsroom function, which is a much younger newsroom compared to the newsroom um, at ITN, for example, um, you know, everybody wants to communicate constantly on their phones via WhatsApp. You know, that's how they're communicating with their contacts, as opposed to like a different sort of workflow where, with with journalists who've been in it for ages are more potentially on the emails or they actually physically want to phone somebody. And, and I think, you know, having a journalist-centric technology and workflows probably makes sense in as much that they are, they're going to bypass anything that you put in, or they're going to try and bypass. Because I think also journalists, especially news journalists, are fundamentally sceptical. And, you know, they want to protect their sources, and therefore they're worried about everything. So they will find ways of communicating with people that you know, you can think up all the workflows in the world and I can guarantee they will they will find another way that makes more sense to them because they feel that it's safer or because their contact only wants to talk like that. You know, it's a... And I think news gathering also... Um, there's also the element of trying to... You know, there are lots of consumers out there that are willing to be part of the news gathering situation when when a big breaking news story happens what I was having talks with uh, with some of the Seven Mountains team beforehand is like, what I really want is I want um, John in the street who's just seen the helicopter crash that happened in London a few years ago. I want him to start streaming that directly into our servers and directly to air. I don't want to have to send a news crew down there because he's there on the ground right now. He's willing to do this for us. And I think that kind of workflow is it will, will also change again the news gathering, you know, situation, because that's how people will start using these people that are in the field that are very happy to take part in, in the news gathering stories. That's a really interesting point, because one of the uh, comments when we started the project in the piece called What's the News from Kamal Ahmed, who was the editorial director at the BBC and now the co-founder, the editor-in-chief at the news movement, was our competition is now anyone out there who's got a mobile phone, quite frankly, I think was his words. And you're talking about pivoting them to almost being an asset. And um, that, I'm going to uh, turn that into a question about sort of, yeah, it was, a, it was a theme about being a part of a connected ecosystem 
and and metadata as a driver of so many things happening in the newsroom, whether that's discoverability or maybe what you're talking about is being able to share assets and, and and reuse things as well. And and you you with your role at EMG now, what's your sort of your approach as a, a with your CTO CTO hat on about being part of this broad um, news environment and and how you like fold all these new new sources of information in as well. It's a pretty hard thing to do because as at EMG, we are kind of a facilities provider. Therefore, we have to bend into what our clients want us to do. And actually, at the moment, a lot of the time, it's a case of um, producing a piece of whether it be news or something else, and then using kind of standard old fashioned FTP that to the client, and then they ingest it into their ecosystem. Um we aren't getting many requests, to be honest, to in order for us to integrate into our into our clients. I think that'll change over time because in order to keep using a facilities provider, it makes more sense for our clients to ask us to be, you know, to have those right logins um, because it then makes it easier for them to use us, you know, and, and as you have to as everyone is at the moment, nobody's got enough staff. Therefore, you know, using a facilities provider to, to, you know, grow your workforce when you need to and then shrink it when you need to makes more and more sense. So I know from being kind of on the other side of it that metadata can be so important and it just helps with the workflow. And so I think we'll see a transition into improving metadata workflow, definitely. Thank you. And yeah, one of my the comments I like most was uh, metadata is the most important and the most imbo- and the most boring word uh, in in news broadcasting. I'm going to ask you, unless you have a sort of burning desire after this to share anything more, I'm going to ask you sort of slightly technical, maybe maybe a technical closing question, which is what are the emerging innovations that you're sort of most excited about, maybe for the for its or their potential to have the biggest impact on news it could be media um more generally and then you're welcome to take off your emg hat and answer that from a personal perspective as well if it's just <laughs> lucy o'brien the tech consumer is particularly buoyed about things that are happening in yeah i think from an emg point of view um we are you know we've been doing and looking at remote production for a long time um there are you know, as the as the years have progressed, and obviously COVID have a massive impact. Those tools that you can have in our toolkit as a facilities provider are now very wide and varied. Um, and I'm looking forward to kind of fine tuning those so that it makes more sense for our customers as well as for EMG. Because at the moment, you know, when I the salespeople say, "Well, we want to do remote production," I can give them. Uh, a million different options and actually that's really hard for the client to work out what's right for them and it and equally you could you know like with everything you can say that everything's got the right and the wrong uh, element for a particular client so but those those the, the technologies around allowing remote production are getting better and better and um, I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to those being fine-tuned so that everybody feels more confident using that type of you know slightly different technology um, and, and also us as a, an entire business um, and an entire industry also giving ourselves the skills to get to that point. You know, we, we are in that 
we're still at the end in that phase of broadcast engineers that don't necessarily understand all of needs to know about IP but we're we're the the balance is being tipped I think and we're getting to a point where there are more people in the industry that understand what everyone needs to know which is which is really good and it and it will give us all a little bit of breathing space I think in terms of me I think that's a really hard question um I don't really know I think you know there's so many cool gadgets that come out here I mean I get completely lost sometimes in the gadget side of Kickstarter which is a bit of a problem I think it's my uh it's my kind of like hidden shame I end up going oh you know I really need whatever it might be um and and the latest gadget is like the smallest little pump you can ever buy in the entire world um I, I bought that I'm not even a camper but I got completely swept up in that so I shall have to Google, you know, what's the current latest technology on Kickstarter. And that's probably what I'll uh, I'll go for personally, I think. Okay, thank you very much. And I am going to ask a follow-up about that um, remote production, which is do you think that um, news specifically will be um, sort of slower to go into that? Will they? Will the challenge be harder than some other parts of of media? Was there like a, a, a catalyst of the pandemic that was sort of... That, some organisations have rode back on slightly despite those sort of successes of spring 2020 and and going back to the way things were? I think what you will see staying for news is the remote as in the uh, contributors being on Teams and Skype and all that side of things. I don't think that will ever go away now, which you would never have seen before COVID hit. I think in terms of full remote productions... Actually, the newsrooms might 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 hang on to it more than more than other elements because if they've already bought the equipment to do that, it makes more sense. You send less people; it means the costs come down. And for the you know for the clients, you know you're, you're sending less people. And news doesn't really make money. You you know we all know news costs money because you can't ever predict what's going to happen tomorrow, and therefore um, they will you know, keep the remote technology and the remote production, I think, possibly more so than a, you know, a, a sports producer who desperately just wants to get back to the ground so they can smell the grass and talk to the right people. So that's that's where I think news may well stay. Um, but news doesn't have the money to kind of maybe keep up with the progression. So um, it's a, it's a really hard one. Thank you. And on that note, Lucy, I'll say thank you very much for um, joining the DPP podcast. It was really, really great having you involved in the in the Tomorrow's News work. And um, yeah, I hope we're able to uh, welcome you at some of our sort of upcoming events in person when, when they're happening as well over the coming months. Right. Thank you very much. Hello again, Paul. Thank you very much for joining the DPP podcast. Uh, The hardest questions first, as always. Who are you? Where are you? Maybe what you can see. Let's have a little bit of colour for this uh, audio recording. Thank you. Great to be here. So my name's Paul Charleston. I'm a principal consultant at uh, Quest uh, internationally, um, but based in the UK. So at the moment, I can see a lovely uh, sunny outside, which is very cold. 
but uh, I'm working away as usual with uh, multiple customers around the world um, who generally tell me that their weather is a lot worse or a lot better. And all I do is turn the web camera around and uh, show them my reality. Thank you very much. So we are here to digest and discuss some of the themes, reflect on the DPP's Tomorrow's News project, which you've been involved in really from the beginning. Um, it's encompassed in numerous reports and we've just heard some of the um, sort of comments as well from Lucy O'Brien, who's the CTO at Euromedia Group, uh, EMG as they're, they're becoming known. What are some of those things that she said that really resonated with you? One of the lines I like, it's about the story-centric model, which is this term that's been brought up many times in the work. And the idea that actually that news agencies have always sort of worked in this kind of way, because they've had to think about the story and had to think about how ultimately these assets, whether they are video or whether they are image, will, will be shared. Absolutely. I, I completely agree with her comments in, in, in most ways. You know, Lucy really pointed out the single producer concept as the, the, the absolute guiding light where everybody wants to go with story centric. Um, but the reality of it turning into single crew, very, very interesting. Now, the agencies, I find, are a perfect example of that. They are looking at this uh, single producer working on a story. How best can they put that asset into multiple different areas? And how does that monetize for them? How does that monetize for their clients? However, I think there's just a reality about the different types of newsroom. We see, uh, certainly when we were looking at the, the news business report that you produced, that there are a lot of ideas that the future of uh, news needs to be around engaging with different revenue income streams, working on different platforms, looking at that digital first. And of course, there's some fantastic people who have been part of your report, like uh, Vice News, who really have taken that forward and they've built their brand on being digital first. And therefore, the story is the perfect place to start for them. And they have had such success that others who are looking to maybe reduce cost, increase revenue, all of that, look to that and say, that's the, the guiding light that we should take. However, there's the whole other breed of 24-7 newsrooms. Those ones need to be constantly thinking about the cycle of news, the next hour, the next two hours, the next day, how those assets sit in the system and how you don't stagnate a story. So they're going to look at it very much that this is how we look at it at one o'clock. This is how we look at it at three o'clock. This is how we look at it in our prime slot at six o'clock. And they're going to keep iterating on that and collaborating around that story. But it's not going to be one producer because they are 24 7, 365. And then there's the other type of newsroom, which isn't perhaps that rolling news 24 7, but having individual shows with very specific feelings to that show. ABC Good Morning America is not going to fit around the way that a story producer wants to work. They need to fit to work on that show and work in the way that that show is. BBC News at 10 needs to feel like that uh, gold star product. And they're always going to be concentrating on that. While we talk about removing silos and creating collaboration, the culture of those type of channels is still that there's a primacy of those premium shows and of those premium slots. And that is more important to those channels than necessarily the fact that one person owns the story. Thank you. And it is interesting when we talk about the, 
the diversification of strategies and bis and revenue streams there's also this huge proliferation of delivery channels as well and like you said these blue riband um products that have to be brilliant and they cannot afford to be anything other other anything but that um one of the 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 themes lucy talked about and we've spoken about throughout this project are the big innovations in in news and there's this idea that maybe there's been more innovation at the news gathering end than there has at the sort of the the delivery side or perhaps in the newsroom um is that something that you would agree with or where do you think are the the big innovations and where do you think the big opportunities are for for news organizations you mentioned uh to sort of borrow one of the words you you used a second ago stagnation has there been any kind of stagnation do you do you think in a way or I think not. I think that technology is doing as technology does and constantly innovating, bringing new ideas to the marketplace, bringing new ideas that can be utilised for news. However, what we've seen is a change of the market. It's no longer big traditional broadcast developers coming with big bang new products that transform everything for you. Now it is that there is granular excellence. There's some really interesting technology. Who thought that 4G bonded cellular was going to transform the way that news worked? They didn't. They said, we're going to go to 4G because we can make more money streaming Facebook products, selling more mobile phones. But it has enabled something else. And those innovations from IT, those different grains of perfection are starting to come through. And really, it's about the newsroom taking uh, what's available and turning it into something amazing or working with partners who can stitch a few things together. And now the really interesting piece, I wouldn't necessarily call it an innovation, but it is the obvious next step is that products are starting to come to the market that just tie things together for you. It's not about creating something different perhaps, but it's about saying, let's bring all those grains together and surface it in a single way for you. And you also contributed to the integration piece at the start of the year. So it's interesting to see that that is is a crucial part of news now. And whilst news was seen as almost this sort of this silo in the corner sometimes where uh, it didn't quite work like that. So, so I've sort of prompted you on a couple of themes that sort of Lucy and, and to a certain extent myself had picked out of the work. Is there anything that that you'd like to cite that could be something that surprised you or or an element that you think is just really really important that needs to be sort of shared and underlined and amplified um with that with dpp members about you know what's happening in this in this tomorrow's news work what i really see is that underlying a lot of these themes is that business has a challenge it has a problem to solve and so so it is looking at this story centric idea as a solution and on the other side people making news are aware of certain tensions and looking at doing things in a different way but as i say there's these multiple different types of news how do they work together and really the key under all of it is actually collaboration and where It's talking about reducing silos from a business perspective or uh, story-centric idealization on on the making the news section. It really is that, that collaboration, both in workflow and in technology, allowing multiple solutions that cover the specific needs of certain areas. 
a constant idea that I see when certain broadcasters talk is they say, we want one tool, but we want one tool that does everything perfectly. And that's just not the truth. The truth is a collaborative overlay that really pulls together multiple tools so that whether your six o'clock news runs on Slack and your digital team runs on Teams, I know very unlikely, but still possible, how do you bring that information together and make it available to both of them? How do you centralize that? You know, the, the idea that we have to push anybody down a certain alleyway, or even worse, everybody down a certain alleyway, just doesn't allow for excellence in any one of the areas. And while we say we want to break down silos, that is true between maybe journalists, maybe different shows, uh, whatever the executive of that newsroom really feels is the future brand of the business. But the graphics team is not the journalist team. The ingest is probably still going to be done by somebody else because that is separate from the journalism. So how do you bring everybody together and allow them to do the very best that they can in their specific subject area? Thank you. So to sort of reframe or reflect some of that back at you then, is some of this a UX problem? You said it sort of doesn't matter in a way what the tools are, as long as the um, the journalist experience, the user experience is good and seamless across the the tools they were using. So, so what what can what can news organisations and their providers do they need to sort of up their game there to a certain extent? And and just just sort of t- tell listeners, Paul and I were just chatting before I hit the recording button about the UX of the particular tool that we are using at the moment, and uh, there was a sort of a semi-serious, semi-flippant comment. Well, actually, the UX has gone backwards of, uh, or could have been seen to have gone backwards in, in some of these tools. So what, what um, sort of, I've forgotten if there's a, if what my question was in there, but yeah, what do the, the, tech, the tech providers, the, the media companies do to provide that seamless, excellent experience to make delivering gr- good news, great products easier? I would say it really comes down to broadcast excellence, trying to achieve the excellence of of the IT industry. So we talk about search and we talk about the difficulty of finding things in metadata. Open Google and see how difficult it is. The reality is user experience has to be at the front. But again, that Google interface is not every level of the work. It is not one single interface that does everything for everybody. Behind it, there are a number of granular systems and granular processes that create that. So instead of going to one broadcast developer and saying, I want you to be able to do this and this and this and this, instead, let's federate across the whole point. Again, collaborate in the technology stack and say, we can leave graphics where graphics live. We can leave media, whether it's in the PAM, a MAM, a graphics asset management system, a social platform, everything else, but it's how we surface it and how we make it available to everybody. So user experience, yes, but overlaying a number of specialist systems, I think is the true key. And the problem is that we still think of it with a very broadcast mindset where we say, oh, well, a software company needs to solve this problem for me and then offer it to me at a price against an RFP. And that's not going to happen. What we need to do is be self-actualizing. Broadcast companies have come so much further along the lines. They now have a team who probably develops an application for an iPhone or for a, a, 
um, an Android phone. They also have probably a, a web app and an OTT app and, and a number of different things. Those developments are happening internally. And actually, the way that those products are put together is connecting a load of different metadata and data sources to surface information. But we don't do it on our own systems and we don't look at applying that ourselves and tying together these things. I say we don't. There are, of course, people who do it and they do it excellently and they are starting to reap those benefits. But I think as an industry, we still would like somebody to come with a solution for us. There's a few threads for me to pull on there related to uh, various parts of the work and upcoming work. I just want to do a quick uh, metadata question because you, you spoke about it a bit there. Is this, are you, do you feel more confident or exasperated about where organizations are going with, with metadata? We had numerous people involved saying, you know, it, it's something where not much has changed in the last few years. It's still a sort of messy as it always is. Or, or do you feel that actually organizations are getting a grip on this with their partners who are sort of helping along this this journey to to create different assets, to make them shareable, to make them discoverable? I think the metadata conversation, and I will always point you back at data as well as metadata. Within an organization at the moment, we still focus on how do we get this bit of metadata into this clip? How do we add this as a, a field that could be searched on? How do we do all of that? Well, actually, instead, if we look at the way that the IT industry, again, looks at big data, they say, well, what data do we have? What are all the different sources? How can we tie that together? If my resource management system knows that I've sent a camera crew out and it knows where they've sent them to, why is there a prompt on the screen of the camera to ask where they are? The truth is we can find that out. We Again, look at Google Maps. Google Maps doesn't even need you to have a cell tower active. It can look at the Wi-Fi points that your computer has and figure out where you are. There's a number of ways of finding things out without having to, to constantly go through these manual processes that production teams simply will never do. So look to automate. Look at what data sources you have. Look at what you can do with them and then enrich. So the industry is absolutely embracing transcription automation, um, the ob object recognition, uh, who is talking recognition. All of these things can start to facilitate that metadata in a way that doesn't affect production. Because if we're trying to slim down teams, if we're trying to make sure that people are as efficient as possible and collaborating, let's get the systems to help them. Let's get the systems to, to reduce their own. Thanks. And I think it was uh, Morton Brandstrup from TV2 in the Making the News report who, who said something along the lines of, um, my organisation knows, because we've already entered the information, who we're interviewing and who's got the camera and what time and where it took place and the frustration about it being entered uh, continuously or, or not following through the workflow. One of the hypotheses or straw men that we started with, this was inside the DPP at the start of the project, was the extent to which news is different from other types of content. And we heard a whole range of responses from it's completely different to it's the same, but it's just shorter. Um, someone being sort of half, half flippant, but half serious again. So 
ultimately what what do you think you've you've worked in media for a long time you've worked like really really deeply with news organizations how how different is news is there ever this holy grail of the unified single workflow or is that just not possible I just don't think there's any likelihood of a single unified workflow, especially when it comes to news. The the truth about news is reactivity. That's really the difference. So while we know that sports is very reactive to what's happening on the field, the company bought the rights a year ago. They've had a summer break to prepare. Everybody has been planned, has call sheets, is already on site. They know the, the the possible length of the game. They know the assets that will be created afterwards. You can generally know how many people are going to watch it and therefore what your revenue is and therefore how big you can go on your production. In news, you wake up in the morning and something happens and you have to deal with it. So therefore your systems have to be able to be reactive. Your people, your bookings process, your scheduling process all has to react to anything that's happening. Therefore you you can't predict your need, but you always have to be able to fulfill your need. So that means every possibility of a new way of getting assets in, every possibility of getting citizen journalists to call in, to text in, to send in uh, uh, footage, any way of publishing to a new platform as soon as it's around, because that's where you can capture eyes from, you need to be able to do. So that reactivity without having any pre-warning is always the problem. And the way that the individual work workflows then come out of the newsrooms really reflects that. There's a new tool that saves me 20 seconds i'll use it because it saves me 20 seconds oh you have to use this tool because technology tells you to no i can save 20 seconds i'm going to use that tool and the key to that from a technology management perspective from a workflow design perspective is to try and identify the 80 percent of similarity and really put in place as much as you can to to define those workflows to have that available and then have really well-documented areas of doubt and uncertainty and say, within that 20%, we can truly be reactive and we will empower our people to use whatever gets them on air. So it has to be very flexible. One interesting one I always reflect on is things like Slack and WhatsApp. If we were outside of the newsroom organization, WhatsApp is a banned application. It is not something you want in your business. You can leak assets from it. You can send text files. You can do all of this. However, in the newsroom, I don't care how you're speaking to the people, just speak to them. Indeed. I wanted to ask, just stay lastly on this uh, news workflows piece, which is news obviously has some very, very distinct um, challenges and sort of methodologies almost in a way. But as it becomes more more digital from one end through to the other end are there any sort of industries or places of inspiration where you think actually there's there's sort of other things going on outside of media and broadcasting where news organizations could um could sort of not saying uh transform what they do but like pick up pick up some new ways of doing things I think in terms of new technologies, there definitely are. You've heard me uh, rattling on about the IT industry and about modernization through cloud platforms. There's some really, really interesting stuff there on the empowerment of technology and what can be achieved. But on a workflow level, I think really 
that is the problem. A newsroom has to find its own identity and it has to accept its identity and invest in its identity. If shows are going to be like the six o'clock news, the 10 o'clock news, uh, these asset type environments, then accept that and don't try and say, okay, well, we're too siloed. We need to change everything. Say, okay, we we admit that that's, that's the key to our business and that's what we need to to sort out. If we're going that way, we are probably rundown centric. If we're rundown centric, there's probably quite a lot of legacy that we can't get rid of yet because technology hasn't really moved on yet. Whereas if you're a more digitally focused business, you can start saying, okay, well, I, I don't ever expect to to hear about a MOS protocol in my business. I will only go rabbit MQ. I will go with everything that is ready for integration and I can do things in a more modern way. And we see that the really interesting things with people like GB News coming into the marketplace, they were able to achieve a significant jump, but there were still legacy items that had to be delivered as part of that to enable the, the, the best in breed type of output that they wanted. Yes, legacy items, but also sort of old traditional ways of thinking, I think. It's very interesting when you speak to people from the organization about what they were trying to achieve and what some of the sort of old news hounds were used to um, working. So I've got a couple couple more questions for you, which is related and tangential to the work. So you mentioned the RFP process earlier. Um, One of our last of closing comments uh, not long ago was was about how um, customers and providers essentially do business. And I try to tease in the upcoming piece of work we're doing called How to Buy Better, which is all about how um, suppliers and providers um, sorry, uh, well, suppliers, providers uh, do business with um, customers better. So is there anything that's sort of specific or emerge from this work that you think is sort of very relevant to what we've got coming up at the DPP? Absolutely. I, I, I mean, your, your piece about buying, it, it's so important. The nature of all of these changes we're talking about, you know, I've already spouted about collaboration of workflow, collaboration of systems collaboration with vendors. Um, When people start offering you bits of what you need, actually you need to go into a creative dialogue. And the problem with something like the RFP process is there's no creativity allowed by definition because it's sealed conversations. And uh, this really doesn't help get to an interesting place. Um, I really feel that that piece of work is gonna be very, very interesting to me. Um, you know, we've heard the call from action from Andy Beale last year at the DPP Tech Leaders event. We've heard these conversations happening at the IBC breakfasts uh, everywhere. People are talking about this and it, it is quite one sided from whichever side you want to be on. If you're in the broadcaster realm, you're saying, well, I just want you to be completely open and allow me to use anything in, in my ecosystem. But I don't really want to pay you to develop it but I want it to be completely specific to what I need. And then from a software perspective, uh, from a vendor perspective saying, okay, I'll make you everything you want, but I kind of need to tie you in, or you've asked me for this add-on, I'll do this add-on, but it's going to work in the way that I think it needs to work. So here's the product. And then somewhere in the middle, you've got these grains of excellence that I keep going on about and saying, how do we stitch those together? Do we take that on ourselves? Do we look to a systems integrator like Quest? You know, how do we understand these? How do we put them together? How do we use our teams in the best way? How do we use vendor products in the best way? And and really, that's a very interesting dynamic in the market at the moment. 
Thank you. So I do have a, uh, this is going to be the closing question, unless you've got any other sort of ref tomorrow's news, uh, future newsroom reflections. But this is a question uh, I asked Lucy O'Brien, and I think I'm now going to ask every guest that we're going to have on the uh, DPP podcast, which is what are some of the emerging um, tech innovations that you are most excited about? So that can be from a professional perspective, as Paul Charleston from Quest. It could be from a completely personal con consumer tech perspective. So when you're um, out and about or sitting at home. So technologies, the the sort of less mature emerging tech that you are most excited about. So in work, I would say the proliferation of VDI, the virtualization of GPU, these are all big deals. These these fix a lot of problems that we've been hitting up against for many, many years. And, and obviously, as part of remote working, the possibility of remote production, these things just knock down some really unpleasant limits that we used to have. Um, in terms of general technology, I am quite interested in green technologies. Some of the things that are happening with carbon capture are very, very interesting. Uh, and I think that as as the world, we need to concentrate more on evolving those ideas and really testing them in the real world situation because we need to try everything. Wonderful. Paul, thank you very much for uh, joining us, for also contributing to the work from when we started it back at the start of the summer all the way through to now. And yes, I hope you will be joining us at the Leaders Briefing where you will be able to hear Andy Beale um, share his top three priorities for the coming year, um, as, many, as well as many other great speakers as well. And we've got lots of um, upcoming work that we're sure we're going to have your organisation involved in as well. So thank you. Thank you, Edward. Thank you then to Paul and Lucy. It was brilliant to have you join this episode of the DPP podcast. Again, please do explore the DPP Tomorrow's News series and look out for the next podcast where I'll be digesting some of the key themes from the Leaders Briefing 2022. <laughs>